Hello and welcome to Speaking Startup, Missouri Business Alert's podcast covering the news and issues important to Missouri entrepreneurs. I'm Elliot Bowman and I'm joined by Suman Naishadam. Hello everyone. And Joe Cease. How's it going? Your startup does what? On today's show, we're looking at some straight up weird startup companies that have turned their niche products and services into winning businesses. We've got some pretty interesting companies on today's show, making everything from buffalo chicken donuts to artificial animal testicles. Every day, entrepreneurs across Missouri are coming up with new ideas for startup companies. The entrepreneurs we'll talk to today took strange ideas and built businesses around them. We'll talk with them about some of the pros and cons of selling out-of-the-ordinary products or services. That's right. We'll talk to Strange Donuts owner Jason Bachman about how he uses unconventional menu items to attract customers and build a truly fun and innovative business reputation. We'll also talk with Greg Miller. He founded Nudicles, a company that makes artificial animal testicles, and wrote a memoir, Going Going Nuts, about his decades of experience in this niche market. Finally, we'll talk to the founder of Gift a Meal, a business that leverages those pictures of food that are all over Instagram into actual meals for the hungry. But first, we'll check out some headlines from this week in entrepreneurship news. Let's speak startup. Virgin Hyperloop CEO said Missouri is a frontrunner to get futuristic travel across the state in the form of a Hyperloop. The proposed mode of ground transport, which a number of companies are currently developing, would send passengers in floating pods at 700 miles per hour. The state's feasibility study is complete, unlike any other state in the country, Jay Wilder said at a gathering last week, according to Startland News. An animal health tech company that was based in Silicon Valley is moving its headquarters to Kansas City, according to Area Development News. Scholar, which provides users with the smart caller, mobile app, and other tech needs relevant to pet parents and veterinarians, decided to move to Kansas City after presenting at the Animal Health Investment Forum in 2018. Canopy Biosciences, a biotech startup based in St. Louis that has gene editing and gene expression products, acquired a German firm this week. It also finalized an investment with a private equity firm in Boston. The acquisition brings Canopy's employment total to 40 people, according to the St. Louis Business Journal. That's it for this week's headlines. We'll get to interviews in just a minute. But first, a word from our sponsors. Boom! Take a journey inside the minds of some of the world's most influential athletes by tuning into The Athlete Podcast, hosted by author, motivational speaker, and former Mizzou quarterback Alex Demchek. The Athlete Podcast talks success habits, how to form a tenacious mindset, the value of faith, and iconic sports stories. From guests such as John Tay Porter to two-time plane crash survivor Austin Hatch, The Athlete Podcast puts some new meaning to motivation. The Athlete Podcast is available on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts, with video segments coming to YouTube. Simply search The Athlete Podcast or Alex D-E-M-C-Z-A-K. Check us out. Our first guest spends his days dreaming up concepts for donuts that have never been produced before, and some may say never should be. Elliot, who did you talk to? I spoke with Jason Bachman, the owner of St. Louis-based Strange Donuts. The name really does speak for itself. Bachman and his staff are constantly pushing out crazy donuts they call strangers. A quick Google search of the company will display items like a buffalo chicken donut topped with Doritos, a chicken strip, and hot sauce, or a pulled pork barbecue donut topped with meat and garnished with a rib bone, or even a hamburger-filled creation coated with cheese Whiz. Wow, sounds like these guys are really thinking outside of the donut box. I see what you did there, and I'm not a fan. Anyways, what did you talk about with Jason? We discussed the company's origins, failures, and how they have leveraged the strangeness of their products to create a successful startup and an unforgettable customer experience. Check it out. 
Okay, I am here with Jason Bachman, the owner of Strange Donuts. Jason, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me, dude. Awesome. So uh, today's episode, we're really focusing on strange startups, uh, companies that have niche products or niche markets. And we found you guys and some of the donuts that I saw online were pretty crazy. Things like barbecue, pulled pork, uh, hamburger patties inside the donuts, chicken wings. Can you give me a brief overview of the company's history and where this unique idea sort of came from and why you decided that it might be a good business? Yeah, we started six years ago almost. Um and just kind of saw a hole in the market. I have a similar, you know, a, a food and background a little bit and uh, owning other businesses. And there was a uh, donut shop that was here local in St. Louis that was asking, you know, if I would buy them. And uh, a friend from college said, you know, why don't we start our own thing and have fun with it instead of just owning a business? You know, so that's kind of where it started. We, uh, do have like crazier stuff and we we collaborate with other businesses to you know have fun with our friends and in the beginning it was like to showcase us you know like we were really i don't know fortunate to have a lot of friends in the restaurant industry that gave us a leg up and now we do that for other people for other small businesses that's the real reason that we do collaborations is to like you know show off our friends and to kind of create a uh, an event every weekend you know it's like a new store every weekend or an experience forces us to be creative yeah can you sort of talk about some of the examples of the different collaborations that you guys have sort of worked on over the years yeah for sure so i mean we've done anything like you know art or clothing um and then restaurants i mean you know we did stuff with uh the niche food group which is you know really high end um restaurant group where we did uh like a fish custard there was like you know people coming from the symphony and tuxedos so it, it doesn't matter i mean i think if it, if it feels fun um and there's it's mutually beneficial you know i mean like then then we'll do it i mean a lot of the stuff is just about an experience you know i mean anybody can make some good looking food and take a photo of it and put it on instagram i mean that's like just commonplace it's more about an experience um and the way people feel than just having a good product because it's kind of easy to have a good product, right? Mm. But making people feel special um, and connecting with them, I think, is increasingly important. How have you leveraged the strangeness of your products to create a winning business model? Doing things that stretch people's taste just a little bit, you know, like it's still like within people's wheelhouse or comfort zone, but maybe just like a little step outside of it. You know, so we have stuff that's normal, you know, long johns and glaze and jelly and all that stuff. But I think making people a little bit uncomfortable, but still, you know, having them be a part of something that's familiar. I think that that's what people are, you know, usually looking for. We force ourselves to be uncomfortable to create more, you know, like we're committed to like a, a new monthly menu. So people who might come in all the time, you know, they have something new all the time. You say you it keeps you inspired to sort of create new things and uh, sort of keep going and keep moving forward and keep adding things to the menu. How how do you think that affects you guys' ability to generate revenue and maintain a customer base, things that are important to any startup business? Oh, yeah, for sure. No, so we have to, like, consider um, costing. So we go into the month, size wide open, wanting to do new things, but also considering cost. It probably costs us a little more to run our business the way we do, but I think for, like, longevity, um, 
think we kind of come out ahead. I mean, the, the way we employ people and what we pay people, like it probably costs us more to run the business that way. But for a perfect example, I mean, we have less than 2% turnover. I'm really interested to know what sort of the strangest concept you've ever had for a donut, even if it didn't necessarily go through, and then also sort of piggybacking off of that. What is sort of the process of creating a new strange donut and sort of testing it out and sort of the steps you take before it gets added to the menu? Yeah. So like the strangest thing that we've done, I mean, I don't know, some of those strangers get pretty wild. There's a one of my friends has a restaurant called Nudo and uh and Miley and they're Vietnamese restaurants and they have pho and we made a consomme, like a, a jelly out of a soup, you know, and then on top of the soup there's like a hoisin sauce and sriracha and basil and peanuts and it was like it was pretty wild, dude. I, I, I didn't eat it. I mean people went bananas for it. And um and that was probably, I think, the weirdest thing. We So the way that we come up with new menus is, one, you know, we try to take a look at, like, maybe the holidays that month or the highlights that month, right? Like Cardinal season opener, right, might be an example. So we want to do stuff for that day. This menu coming out next this month will be like music legends, right? So we take a lot of the musicians that I like or that I, you know, are, like, influential in our culture and, like, the James Brownie, right, or Wu-Tang. So, like, the Wu-Tang cinnamon roll we'll have uh tang you know the orange drink and it'll be filled with cream you know cream casseroles everything around me i don't know if you know that song but get the money the, uh, dollar dollar bills y'all dollar bill. yeah <laughs> yeah of course dude are there any examples of failures uh or oh, setbacks yeah. that you've you had probably no one dude <laughs> <laughs> the uh one i mean dude and this still like burdens me man like like columbia we had a store there and um it was doing all right and we probably, you know, honestly had like a nostril above water, right? Like we were making money, but uh, it wasn't enough for us. And we kind of had to trim the fat, right? So that's a hard decision. It's hard to like fail publicly and be honest about like, yeah, dude, we screwed up out here, right? My last question is, what advice do you have for other entrepreneurs that are looking to enter a niche market or looking to sell some strange products that are really sort of fun and really sort of like out of the box, just like strange donuts. Be educated in your product. If it's a niche product, then it has to be the best. Be willing to take criticism and really take a look at it, especially if it's a niche product and it's people that are very familiar with that segment. If they, if you are not making sales, you are missing something big. Awesome. That's all the questions I have. Thanks uh, again for joining the program. Have a good day. Of course, you. Thank you. Our second guest made millions from an idea that came to him at a moment of crisis when his bloodhound puppy ran away. You won't believe what his business idea was. Simon, tell us about this strange business. So, Greg Miller, the founder and CEO of Nudicles, developed prosthetic testicular implants for dogs after his puppy, who was not neutered, ran away after catching the scent of a female dog in heat. Miller says he's sold over 500,000 sets of Nudicles over the last 20 years, and besides the wacky origin story, he doesn't think his company is all that strange. He says it provides pet owners a service that's ethical, natural, and time-tested. I guess to get started, I uh, would love if you could give me a brief overview of Nudicles' origin story. It started really with my bloodhound named Buck. Uh, I was neuter hesitant. He was a beautiful bloodhound. His little jewels were, you know, part of his body, his personality. 
And I put off neutering, put off neutering because I didn't want to neuter him because Buck would no longer be Buck. One day, out of the blue, he took off. He was gone for four days. I found him 10 miles away. I was living way out in the country. Found him. uh, I put out posters all over everywhere. A lady 10 miles away called and said, we think your dog is in our backfield. I rushed over there. Sure enough, it was Buck. Uh, I got him back, but realized that that, and I said, well, you know, He's been gone for four days, and he says, well, the dog in the farm next over is in heat, and the owner ran him away. It's a miracle that farmer didn't shoot him or something. But anyway, he ran Buck off, and Buck was running around in circles, and it was a miracle I got Buck back. So I said, my God, I've got to get him neutered whether I like it or not, or this is going to happen again. And the idea of test, you know, nudicles just came to mind. It just says, you know, you know, I, I don't want to neuter him, but I wonder if they make implants. So I asked my Missouri veterinarian, don't they make implants for dogs? And he looked at me and he says, well, Greg, I've been a vet for 40, 45 years, and that's the craziest D-A-M-N thing I've ever heard of. And I said, well, call me a neurotic pet owner. So Buck got neutered, took him back 10 days later to get the stitches brought taken out, and Dr. Holder said, your idea of t- testicular implants sounds crazy, but the more you think about it, the more sense it makes. And I said, well, you know, wonderful. Can you help me with the procedure? And he said, yes. And uh, three, two years later, on December 20th of 90, 1995, we did our very first commercially implanted pet, a Rottweiler. Um, and since this is you know, a podcast about entrepreneurship, I do want to ask you uh, some questions about you know, how, how the business grew from 95 to where it is today. I would give an interview. We'd, I'd say, you know, you're the, you know, you're, you're the fifth winner. We'll pay for the neuter and supply the neuticals. Then I would get on the phone and find a vet in Chicago and call him and say, hey, we've got this radio station that's really promoting neuticals. And, you know, will you neuter a dog with neuticals? We'll pay the bill. And you'll not only get paid, but you'll get, you know, free publicity. And they said, sure, yeah, yeah. So I did that in, you know, probably 50 or 60 major cities around the country and established a referral database. So ran ads in Dog Fancy Magazine, you know, and got thousands of responses. So when people, you know, and then words started getting out. and this, uh, so, so as time got, went on, somebody would say, I'm in... Chicago. Is there a vet in Chicago? So I would refer them in turn to that vet that did the free neutering with neuticals to begin with. And so could I ask you, uh, were there any complications in selling this idea to um, investors or, you know, like was there any difficulty in in sort of pitching the idea to a non-veterinary community? Not at all. I got some local investors Back in the day, a few people put in a few thousand dollars, but otherwise I paid for it myself. And the development of Nudicles, uh to even get it off the ground uh, exceeded $200,000. The patents, the packaging, the molds, the, the clinical studies, the, every, you know, the, 
the trademark, the everything you can think of. And it took two years to you know, to develop the procedure and to get you know get it market ready. I'm curious about the Kim Kardashian connection. Uh, I went to your website and it looks like she endorsed the product uh, back in the day. Could you tell me a little bit about how that happened? Well, I didn't even know they were doing it. You know, uh, what happened was one day, you know, one morning I, I come in, business as usual, and somebody calls and says, hey, you were on the Kardashians last night. <laughs> I said, get out of here. And they said, no, they, they, they neutered this boxer dog, and, and the, the whole show almost was about nudicle. We sell not only to the you know, upper echelon, but we sell to middle class people, poor people, everything in between. Okay. So to wrap up, I wanted to ask you what advice you would have for, you know, a young entrepreneur looking to enter a niche, a niche market um, or to sell a product that is, you know, a little bit unconventional. What, you know, what would you tell that person? Um, well, first of all, we think nudicles are very conventional because it provides the pet owner an option that never existed before in all of animal kind. You know, it provides the, uh, the, the neuter-hesitant pet owner an option between whole and unwhole, natural versus unnatural, and that option never existed until nudicles came along. And I've got everything I want and more. So if you want it bad enough, you can achieve it. Giving up is not an option. Our next featured business isn't quite as strange as some of the other startups we featured in today's episode, but Gift Meal is helping the less fortunate in St. Louis in a very unique way. Tell us about it, Joe. So if you're like me and have always wondered why people take pictures of their food and post it to Instagram, there's an app that turns those filtered photos of your sashimi platters and eggs benedict into meals for the hungry. I talked to Andrew Glantz, the CEO of St. Louis-based startup Gift Meal, about how their app tries to solve a common problem in an uncommon way. Here's what Andrew had to say. So I guess the first question that or really the first thing I'd uh, like to ask you to do is maybe give me like a brief overview of Gift a Meal, like the company history, uh, where the idea came from, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Gift a Meal at a high level is a mix of marketing and giving back for restaurants. Uh, so restaurants pay us a monthly subscription to be listed on our mobile app. And then each time someone goes into the restaurant and dines there and takes a photo of their food on our mobile app, uh, we make a donation to a local food bank to help provide a meal to someone in need. So it's a way to drive customers to go to restaurants through a socially conscious incentive rather than uh, financial, like a coupon or a discount. And it's an easy way and free way for people to just give back by taking a photo. Um, so we currently have about 150 partner restaurants and have provided over a quarter million meals to those in need so far. Uh, interesting. And so how, how does uh, Gift-A-Meal, uh, you just kind of explained it, but how does Gift-A-Meal exactly make uh, like the revenue? Mm-hmm. So restaurants pay the monthly subscription $49 to, set to $149 a month. Higher level plans get them more marketing benefits as well and featuring on the app. Um, and then we make donations out of that monthly subscription uh, to the food bank with each photo taken. So that's coming out of our pocket, not the restaurant. Um, and we structured it in that way so the restaurant could have that predictable monthly recurring marketing expense and not have to worry about the variability in their budget. Cool. And like, take me back to the beginning, I guess. Like, how do, how were you guys able to generate buzz for Gift a Meal before like releasing the app and all that? Like, 
how did you guys attract investors, I guess? Yeah, I mean, initially it was just my savings in order to start the company, and when that ran out, I raised a Kickstarter campaign. Uh, and then when that ran out, I did a bunch of different pitch competitions in order to get an extra $500 here, 3000 there, $250 there, $1,000 there to keep things going. Um, and then uh, we, I mean, we launched the app um, based off of that, and then um, it wasn't until uh, about a year in that we received an investment from Accelerator Capital Innovators um, once we had some traction um, to show them, and we could show that the concept had some product market fit. Um, so we went through the Capital Innovators Accelerator in spring 2016, uh, and then that money lasted us two years until uh, October 2018, where we just raised an $165,000 angel round mm-hmm. and then won a $50,000 arch grant in November of 2018. Um, and that's what's really allowed us to fuel our growth. Wow, that's pretty incredible. Um, so do you think it's uh, the novelty of the concept of Gift a Meal that sort of attracts investors? How, how, do, how does that work like with investors? Yeah, the investors definitely see it as something novel. I think that we're in a really unique and cool space in the restaurant industry where we're able to connect these diners uh, to people that are also food insecure uh, to help form that connection in the community to have everybody benefit. Um, What attracts our investors a lot is the numbers that we show in order to prove our value to the restaurants to show that we're scalable. Mm -hmm. Um, So in case studies that we've done with the restaurants where they've given us point of sale data, we've been able to measure that customers that use gift a meal are spending 24% more per check on average, return 45% more frequently, and tip 14% more on average than a standard customer. So through a socially conscious incentive, it's actually outperforming all the different coupons and discounts and loyalty-related services out there. And so that's really what excites investors is that we're able to have such a big impact on the restaurants from the marketing perspective as well as have that give back component as a profits with a purpose company. So we're able to, they're able to see really high potential for growth for gift a meal for them to get a personal return on investment, as well as to feel good that they're supporting a company whose mission is going to make the world a better place. Awesome. Um, so uh, I guess another question I wanted to ask is like, it seems like you guys are pre- uh, pretty, pretty successful at this point um, in gift a meal's trajectory, but like, were there any difficulties or setbacks that you had to overcome um, in the beginning mm-hmm. stages? Yeah, I mean, there have been five times in our company's history where we've had one month of runway left in the bank account, meaning <laughs> that we were going to run out of money at the end of the month unless we made another sale, won a pitch competition, won a grant, closed an investor, uh, or found a way to cut costs. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's lots of bumps along the way, and there were points uh, that we thought, like, okay, we're going to have to shut this thing down. It's not working. Um, and then we would always just try to stay scrappy and figure it out and keep our head high. Um, and so, yeah, I got through a lot of those moments on the fundraising side. Um, on the restaurant side, it was really difficult um, at first to get restaurants to join since it is a novel concept and yeah. something that's unlike other marketing that they normally do. And so they didn't really have the budget to pay for a gift to meal offers. They we're saying like, oh, I'm just going to be spending on uh, like a magazine ad or something like that. And they couldn't understand the concept. So until we actually got the first restaurants as early adopters to come in, 
and we were able to get testimonials from them showing the product that Get to Meal was working for them as a program uh, and get some quantitative case studies to show the value, it was very difficult to get restaurants on board. Um, and so very thankful for those early adopters uh, who helped get us started. Cool. And uh, you mentioned like it was difficult to demonstrate to the restaurants how, how, like, how much value this would um, give to them. So um, I guess the question is how, how much value do, are they getting out of it? Like it seems like they're interested. So um, mm-hmm. like, how would you quantify that, um, the value? Yeah. Um, so I mentioned earlier in this call a case study that we did where we were able to see that the check size was increasing mm-hmm. for gift meal customers and uh, same with visit frequency uh, and tip size. And then we also uh, get the meal users, they take the photo on the gift meal app to give a meal with someone in need. And then they're, uh, they, where they're suggested to share that photo on Facebook or Instagram to give a second meal. Um, and so then if the user shares on Facebook or Instagram, then they effectively become a brand ambassador for the restaurant promoting it to their friends. And that's another way to provide value. Um, we also have 23,000 people on the app. Um, mm. And so we could help drive those customers to our partner restaurants. Like you, users can search for pizza restaurants or they could search for an inexpensive Thai restaurant within five miles of them. Um, and they're basically using gift meal as a socially conscious Yelp in order to find restaurants that care about the community. And we have a large enough selection of restaurants that they're able to find something close to them that fits those parameters. So we can help drive the customer in the door. We can then increase the value of the customer by having them spend more return more frequently and tip more. Mm-hmm. And then we're getting that customer to promote the restaurants to their friends. Uh, and so it kind of comes full circle. Now we're going to talk about important numbers related to our show topic in this week's edition of Can I Get Your Digits? Suman, can I get those digits? Sure thing. My digit is 334%. That's how much funding for pet startups in the U.S. have grown since 2012, according to Crunchbase Research. In 2018, funding for pet startups was $291.8 million. In 2012, that number was $67.2 million. Joe, can I get your digits? Yepers peppers. My digits are $335 million. That's how many Instagram posts hashtagged food there are at this very moment. Did you know that pizza is the most popular food people like to take pictures of? I did not know that, but it definitely makes sense. Hey, Elliot, what are your digits? My digit is $3.16 billion. That's the market size for gluten-free products. It wasn't too long ago that these products and the businesses that made them were considered strange. Now these products make up one of the largest niche markets in any industry. We'll end our program on strange startups with a quote from Dan Chabelle, a New York Times bestselling author and serial entrepreneur. He reminds us, what makes you weird makes you unique and therefore makes you stand out. 